just, um, man, it's just such a special thing for us to be able to do what we're doing this morning, to gather together as God's people, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, uh, to worship, to adore, praise, even just singing together, singing the truth of the Word. And so now we want to come around this Word, and, and we've been doing it through the book of Psalms, and so if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to join us in Psalm 119 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in the seat back in front of you and would encourage you to, to grab that copy of God's Word. We'd love for that to be a gift to you. Um, and we'll also have some of the text up on the screens as well. And as we've been walking through the Psalms, uh, we're kind of looking at some of the different ways, the different types of Psalms. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Psalms of meditation. So we introduced kind of the, the message series and then began to talk about a little bit about the distance between us and God and, and our need for the Psalms, our need for the Word. And then Pastor Mike uh, brought a word from Psalm 19, which is very similar to 119, uh, just delighting in the Word and what God has done, how the Word, um, what it means to us and how it's a treasure. And last week we looked at how the way we understand the Word is through the Son, through Jesus in Psalm 1 and uh, 2. And this week in Psalm 19, we, we want to see and delight in what does it really mean for us to meditate on the Word? What does it mean for us to be a people who, who think about it and ponder it and apply it to our hearts and lives? And so that's where we're going to go this morning because that's where the psalm is. Um, probably the best thing we, we could do this morning would be to read the entire psalm. Uh, but Psalm 119 is 176 verses. And so... For the sake of time, we won't do that. I would encourage you to do that on your own. It's a beautiful psalm. It's written in line with the Hebrew alphabet. So every single section begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's just delighting in God. And we're going to get into that. This morning, we're going to start in Psalm 119, 97. 119, starting in verse 97. We'll go through verse 112. Um, and as we walk through this passage, if you uh, underline, circle, highlight in your Bible, I would encourage you as we walk through it to highlight, circle, underline every time you see the word your, and then after it will come some sort of version of the word, the law, the precepts, the testimony, a, a different way of the psalmist delighting in God's word. And if you do that, as you walk through this, you'll see all the different ways that one, the word is mentioned, but two, the delight and joy the psalmist has in it. And so let's walk through this passage together this morning. Psalm 119 verse 97 begins this way. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It's not just some of the day, all the day. I understand more, uh, I'm sorry, my, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. 
I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Amen. I pray that be true of us this morning. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This is the word of Christ this morning, and we are thankful for it. And so as we are in this passage this morning, what we see is uh, this truth, and this is the truth I want us to kind of get our heads around because it's every verse in this chapter, and the truth is this, God's word is life. Amen? God's word is life. It's not found in anything or anyone else than God's word. The way we understand salvation, the way we understand who Jesus is, the way that we walk and step with the Holy Spirit, the way we grow in our understanding of God the Father is through the word of God. Even this morning we sang, you have the words of eternal life. Well, Jesus is the incarnate word and the word is God's word, the Bible. God's word is life and the propensity of our heart is to try to find life in anything and everything other than God other than Jesus but as the people of God this morning what we want to say and recognize that God's word is life whether we read it or not it's life whether we pursue it or not it is life but for it to become life-giving for you and for me it requires meditation meditation on God's word is the means by which the word it becomes life-giving to us. So it's life-giving whether or not we meditate on it, but it's through meditation, we're going to talk about what that means, it's through the meditation on the Word that it becomes life-giving to us. And that's our prayer this morning. So our prayer for you, it's my prayer for me, is that we would be a people who not only believe that God's Word is life, we experience God's Word as life and life-giving. And there's no greater illustration that I could give to this than Jesus himself. The ministry of Jesus is a ministry of a man who meditated on the word. All throughout his ministry, he was quoting the word. And we know from uh, Luke chapter 4 that he knew the law and he spoke the law and he read the law. And you might say, well, Jesus kind of has the, an advantage over me. He's, you know, God. And that's true. Uh, but he didn't use that advantage solely. He studied the word he knew the word he grew up around the word and one of the things that's unique about Jesus and that's special about this week that's already been mentioned that this is holy week this is passion week where we celebrate Jesus death burial and resurrection in our place and when you read through the account of the last week before Jesus death even this morning uh, reading about the triumphal entry and Palm Sunday Jesus came riding in on a donkey, on a colt. Picture of humility. Why? Because God's word had promised that the Savior would come riding on a donkey. God, Jesus knew God's word. He meditated on the word. And up to the point of his death, whether it was in the garden or at the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal, which we celebrate through the Lord's Supper later this morning, or whether it was on the cross, Jesus, when he was being pressed and crushed and suffered in your place and in my place when he was pressed and when he was crushed and when he suffered what came out of him was the word of God even on the cross Jesus cries out quoting Psalm 22 my God my God why have you forsaken me when we were growing up as kids my dad would uh, talk to us about the word and he'd talk about 
you know, what, what's inside of you will come out. So if you have an orange and you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. And if you squeeze an apple, you get apple juice. Then he'd say, what happens when you see, uh, squeeze a Christian? And me and my brothers would always say, you get Jesus juice, right? Ha ha, yeah. He would say, you get Christ, right? When you squeeze a, a Christian, you should see Christ. And on the cross and in his suffering and taking the cup and God's wrath being poured on him, out, what flowed out of Jesus in the crushing and in the pressing was the word of God. So a great question for us as believers is when you are pushed, when you are poked, when you are pressed, what comes out of your life? What comes out of your words? What comes out of your thoughts? In the way that what comes out of us becomes God's word is this thing called meditation. So what I want to do in our time this morning is ask and answer three questions. One question is, what is meditation? What does it mean to meditate on God's word? Give some definition to that. Second question is, what does it look like practically? What's a tangible example of meditation, on meditating on God's word? And then thirdly, how do we begin to meditate on the word of God? Practically, how do we do that in our lives? And so let's, let's look uh, at Psalm 119 together, and out of this text, we will answer those questions this morning. So the first question, what does it mean to meditate on God's Word? What does it mean to meditate on God's Word? I think, I think there's two really important facets that this passage holds out to us this morning that I want us to look at. And the first one is, is using um, a definition that Pastor Mike gave us a few weeks ago, and we see it in this text. And it's this, to meditate on God's Word is to read memorize, ponder, and speak God's word to ourselves, replacing our thoughts with the very thoughts of God. That last line is really important. Replacing our thoughts with the thoughts of God. That, that's the point, the goal of meditation. That when we come to the word, we want to come to the word saying, hmm, I wonder what I think about the word. But that we come to the word saying, what has God said? I hope when you come in on a Sunday morning, you don't come to hear Pastor Paul's thoughts or Pastor Mike's thoughts or Pastor Daniel's thoughts. I hope you come to hear the word of God. And each and every week, you should come and compare our words to this word because this word is life, not a man's words, amen? And so we come, we come around this word and meditating means fixing our eyes on this word. Look at verse 97 again. Oh, how I love your law. I like it, it's nice, I love it. it. It's become a treasure to him. Look at the next line. It is my meditations, there's our key word, all the day. So this is a picture of what meditation is. Meditation is not just glancing at the word at the morning or glancing at the word at night. Meditation is gazing at God all day long. It's setting his word in front of us. It's putting it in front of our thoughts. It's putting it around us. It's thinking about it, contemplating it, pondering it, wrestling through it, trying to apply it to our lives. And it says all the day, not part of the day, not just in the morning, not just the night, but all day long, this person is thinking about it. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. This is really important. For it, the word, is ever, and this is really important, again, circle, underline, with me with me. The Torah, God's law, the first five books of the Old Testament, he had 
with him in some form or fashion. They were around him. He was thinking about them all the day long. That's what it means to meditate on the word. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. So meditation on the word is filling our thoughts with God's thoughts, asking that God would transform our thoughts into his thoughts. The psalmist is seeing the world from God's perspective and choosing to agree with God. It's really important to say here what meditation is not. Meditation, when we're talking about meditating on the word, it's not inner peace. It's not just quieting your soul, finding inner peace. That's not what this is. It's not just clearing your mind, but instead it's focusing on God's word thinking about God's word and allowing the word to change the way that you think and change the way that you live, change the way that you act, and dare I say it, change the way we feel. That's what meditation is meant to do in the life of a believer. So two facets. One is what we just said. Meditation on the word is to read, memorize, ponder, speak God's word ourselves, replacing our thoughts with the very thoughts of God, the goals that we become more like God. I have four children, uh, so it's all kinds of crazy in my house. Many of you guys know that. We've talked about that before. Our youngest son is Trip. He's almost two years old. And so he is learning to talk. He's walking around. And so the common thing in our house is he's trying to be like us. So if my shoes are off and he comes walking around the corner, he typically has my shoes on, Katie's shoes on. He wants to be like we do, so he walks in these massive shoes. And if he can find something that resembles a cell phone, he's walking around the house saying, Hello! Hello! Poppy! Yes! You know, he's talk, trying to talk to his grandfather, you know, or he'll come around the corner in one of Evie's tiara, princess, gold, glitter, headband things, like, no, take that off, son. You need you to be manly. Come on, knock that thing off. But the reason he does that is he wants to be like us, Right? He sees his older brother, his older sister, his mom or dad. He wants to imitate us. He wants to become like us. This is what meditation's about. It's wanting to become like our father. It's wanting to think like our father thinks. See the world like he sees the world. And meditating on the word brings us into that. So that's one facet. Here's the second facet to meditation that's really important for us to understand. I think it's the one that we probably neglect the most. And it's this, to meditate on God's word is to recognize our insufficiency and need. To choose to meditate on the word is a choice to realize that we're needy people. Or as Jeremiah 17 would say, we, our hearts are desperately wicked. They're incurably sick. Who can know it? Because here's one of the problems. One of the reasons we don't meditate on the word is we feel like we're pretty good. We're pretty good. We have kind of our rhythm. We have our routine. It's good. It's good enough. But what this psalmist knows and what he tells to us again and again and again throughout this chapter is that we are far from God. And we need our hearts realigned to him. That we are wicked And we are in our own, we are sinners, and we are far from God. And so in order to meditate on the word, we have to see our need for God. Look at Psalm 105, verse 105. There's so much that can come out of this verse. But it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's much that can be said about it, but, but this is really important for us to see. 
The reason the psalmist needs a lamp to his feet is because he's unsure of where he stands. And the Bible also says that we need to beware if we think we stand, lest we fall. The word clarifies where we are compared to God, but it also says it's a light to my path. It it gives us direction, and the reason why it would need to, to give us direction is because on our own, we will not choose the right path. On our own, we will chase things other than God. We will chase sin. And so the truth is, there is often a much larger gap between where we think we are standing in relationship to God and then where we actually are standing. And meditation helps us to see that gap. Meditation opens our eyes to see our need for God. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been like hiking, mountain climbing, out into the wilderness. I don't even know why I said mountain climbing. Just going out up into a mountain and walking around. If you've ever done that before, um, and I don't really do that a whole lot, don't understand it that much. Um, I work really hard to pay for a mortgage. I don't know why I'd pay to go live like a homeless person and camp outside. But anyways, if that's you, that's okay. But one of the things I have noticed, whether I'm out in the mountains or at the beach, is things seem a lot closer than they actually are. You know, and so it's like, let's go hike over there. Let's go walk to that point. And then you start going and you realize, oh my goodness, that is so much further than I thought it was. And this is what happens when we meditate on the word. We begin to see God for who he actually is. And then we actually begin to see ourselves for who we are. And we see the massive gap that's there. I'm convinced this is one of the reasons why we don't like to spend a lot of time in the word because it reveals our brokenness. But what the gospel does is the gospel shows us this massive gap and it brings us down, it breaks us down, it helps us see how far we are from God. But then at the same time, we see how loved we are. That God would send his son to rescue us when we are in this state and in this place. And so it creates in us a love for God's grace and a love for the gospel. And so we as a people, in order to meditate on the word, we must realize that we are far from where we need to be. And I'll just encourage you to come in with the expectation, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I can always excel more. I can always grow more. And just as a practical aside, if, if you have a brother or sister in Christ in your life and they're really convicted about how far they are and how far they need to go in their pursuit of God, don't, don't come to them, and it would mean to be loving, but don't come to them and say, no, you're in a good place, it's okay, don't worry about it. Don't do that. Love them enough to say, don't be defeated by it, but yes, pursue more. Yes, see your need. Run to Jesus as your Savior. Grow more. Study more. It's part of what the body does for one another. It's one of the gifts that we are to each other. Don't assume that your current form of meditation and Bible study is adequate. It's not. You can grow more. I can grow more. Our heart deceives us. We think our current position and trajectory are closer to God than we actually are. The light of the word exposes the distance between us and God and calls us into a pursuit of him. I love my favorite parable is Luke 18. And it's such a convicting one. Jesus talks about the two men going to the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee and he says this. He prayed to himself like thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. Extortioners, uh, unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector he sees him standing there 
says, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Church, family, I just pray we would be like the tax collector. See our need for God and run to the word in light of our need. Pastor Timothy Keller says, all you need is nothing. All you need is need to come to the cross. So we've asked, what is meditation on the word? Let's move to the second question. What does meditation on God's word look like? What does meditation on God's word look like practically? What's a tangible example of that? I think the answer is Psalm 119. It is an example of what good meditation looks like. Meditating on God's word means the intentional alignment of our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, and our actions with it, with the word. I'm assuming most of you probably have a vehicle. If you've ever had a car, you've probably experienced what it's like for it to be out of alignment. When it gets out of alignment and everything gets rough and the way you turn, it doesn't respond really well. And Our lives get that way. In fact, as we've said already, they tend to be that way. That's our default position. And so meditation is aligning our lives with the truth of God's word and aligning our thoughts, our desires, our affections and emotions uh, and our actions in obedience with him. And this is what Psalm 119 in this passage we've read does. And I want you to lean into this because this is really, really cool. So what, what does meditation look like? Well, what's happening in Psalm 119 is that the psalmist, we don't know who it is, he is reading the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And as he's reading through the Torah, he's meditating on it. We read that, verse 97. He's meditating on the law. He's thinking about it. He's praying through it. He's contemplating it. He's memorizing it. And then what is coming out of him as he's meditating on it is Psalm 119. He's writing down his thoughts. He's writing down his observations. He's writing down what he's seeing. He's writing down his contemplations. And as he's doing that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we get Psalm 119. So another way of saying it is this. This psalm that we are reading, it is meditation in visual form for us. It's almost like a, a, a meditation inception. It's like it's, we're reading a meditation of a meditation of God's word. And it's just this really, really cool thing. And so when you read through this passage, you and I can see what it looks like to meditate on the Word. So let me just give a few examples just straight out of this passage. There's more in your notes you can look at. But as he is thinking about the law, he's reading Genesis, and he's reading Deuteronomy, he's reading Leviticus, this is what's coming out. One of his meditations, one of his thoughts that comes out, and it's Scripture for us, is is this. The Word is our source of wisdom, not life experience. So he's meditating on the word of God and he realizes something. The way that we become wise has nothing to do with age, living longer, has nothing to do with life experience, and it has everything to do with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Look at some of the things that he says in this passage, verse 98 through 100. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. I'm wiser than my enemies. For it's ever with me. 
I have more understanding than all my teachers. He's saying, I know more. I have more understanding, more wisdom than my teachers because your testimonies are my meditation. Verse 100, I understand more than the aged. Why? For I keep your precepts. So he's saying wisdom has nothing to do with life experience in and of itself. Wisdom has everything to do with knowing the word of God, fearing God, and obeying the word of God. So it's not just about knowing it, but he says, I keep your precepts. James will say the same thing later on in James chapter 1, that we are to be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving ourselves, right? It's not about just knowing what the word says, it's about obeying what the word says says this is where wisdom is found and he's recognizing that this is not the way we normally approach it we think wisdom comes with age and life experience and that is true if that life experience and age is grounded in this book but it's not apples for apple another observation that he makes that we see here in this passage is that the word produces a passion for the pursuit of holiness a passion for the pursuit of holiness He wants to be holy. 101 through 102, he says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside, right or left, from your rules, for you have taught me. Verse 104, through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. What's happening? The psalmist is reading through passages in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers about God's holiness. Be holy as I am holy. That he's creating this holy people, Exodus 19. And as he's reading through these passages, he's reflecting on it. He's realizing, I need to be holy like God is holy. I need to pursue holiness. I need to reject sin. I need to run away from temptation. I need to run toward God. This is what happens when we meditate on the word. It changes our desires. It changes our actions. And practically, kind of as an aside, if if you're here this morning, there are certain sin patterns in your life that you can't break out of. There are some idols, there are struggles, there are chains that you want to be rid of in your life, but it seems like you keep falling back into those tendencies. What this psalm tells us is the way we get out of sin is not by just doing better, trying harder, putting stuff away, but it's by gazing at God. It's about trading a lesser treasure for a greater treasure. The lesser delight for a greater delight. A lesser joy for a greater joy. And the psalmist is saying, your word is joy for me. The joy of my heart, verse 111. It is delight, sweeter than honey, verse 103. And because it's my delight and because it's my joy, I reject every evil way. I hate evil ways. I hate sin. And God is cultivating in his heart this hatred for sin and this love for holiness. Not to make himself right in God's eyes, but delighting in who God is. And we could just keep going and going, and for the sake of time I can't. But there's things here like the word is our light for direction and understanding. It's the way we know how we're to walk, the way we know God's will for our lives. It's found in the word, in obedience to it. The word is our comfort in the face of affliction and suffering. If you're hurting this morning, you're broken this morning, you're wounded this morning, you're sick this morning, your comfort is found in this book. 
your help is found in this book. Not all the answers to your questions, but what you need for your hurting heart. The word is the joy and delight of the longing soul. Lastly, I'll just mention the word is the treasure of God's people. Look at Psalm 119, 111. It says, your testimonies are my heritage forever. Literally, my inheritance forever. For they are the joy of my heart. And one of the things I'm praying for our church, for you, for me, for our families, is I would love to get to the point when our people see God's word as a greater inheritance than any other inheritance that a family could have. Or we care more about leaving our children the word and a love for the God than we do a good career, a good home, a good education. Or we care less about our 401ks and our retirement. We care more about having this stored up in our hearts. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that change everything? That can happen when a people come around the meditation of God's word. It becomes a light, it becomes life, it becomes the heritage of his people. That can be true in your family, in your marriage, and in my family, in my marriage. There's no greater inheritance for our kids, no greater heritage for us. So what is meditation? What does it mean to meditate on the word? Answered that. What is a practical example? What does meditation on God's word look like? I would encourage you to go back in your own time this week and read back through Psalm 119. And again, it, the whole thing is one meditation of God's word. Use it as your example in the way that you think about it. And lastly, and just practically, how do we meditate on God's word? How do we begin to do this? How do we develop this discipline, this habit in our lives? Here's a thought and then some practical examples. Here's the thought. Meditation is a deliberate, consistent, and persistent thinking God's word, on God's word throughout each week and every day. It's deliberate. It's by choice. It's consistent. Happens regularly. And it's persistent. Something you're pushing for, fighting for, longing for. And it's thinking on the word every single day. This is where meditation begins. So here's just some really practical, tangible ways for you and for I to begin meditating on the Word today. The first thing that I would encourage you to do is this. Read it. Don't just read about God's Word. Read the Word. Amen? The Word is life. And if we're not careful, we will get in patterns where we read a lot about the Word. We'll read devotionals. We'll listen to messages. We'll do all these things. And if we're not careful, we will never actually get into this Word. But this is the living Word. This is the living word. And so we must guard our hearts to not run to other resources first, but instead to delight in this word. I'm not saying that all messages are bad or all devotionals are bad. I would encourage you, most Christian devotionals out there are not helpful. They're more harmful than helpful because they are man-centered instead of God-centered. If you're angry about that, talk to Pastor Mike. That's his advice, not mine. But I'll just throw that out there. Um, But we must be careful, brothers and sisters, because we will put our study around things other than the Word and things that cause us to focus on self instead of focusing on God. So the first thing to do is read the Word. Secondly, intentionally think about the Word. Think about it throughout your day. Think about it throughout your week. And there's so many ways you can do about that. You can do that. Memorize the Word 
Write it on your hand. Put a reminder in your phone. Stick it on a post-it note on your computer screen. Um, write it on your, your best friend's forehead. So every time you see him, like, that word will come back up. But think about it. Put it around you. Put it in your mind. Wrestle through it. What is this telling me? What is this telling me to do? What's this telling me to flee? What is this telling me about God? What is this telling me about my life and, and sin and God's holiness and redemption and the gospel? Think about it. Wrestle through it as you go about your day, as you go about your week. Uh, third, pray God's word. This is a great way to meditate on the word. Pray the word. Read it and pray it back. Ask God to do what the word is saying in your life and around you. It puts it in your mind. It puts it in your heart. It puts it in your thoughts. Pray the word back to him. Here's another one. Memorize God's word. And I'll be honest, this one's a struggle for me. This is one I'm trying to grow in. But one of the greatest things we can do is hide God's word in our hearts so we will not sin against him. Memorize it. You meditate it when you memorize it. It gets called to your mind. It's called to your heart. And there's all kinds of resources out there. If you're a physical kind of person, write it down. Write it down multiple times. Write it down and laminate it. There's a pastor who talks about, you know, take it into your shower, you know, with you and read the word. It's laminated. It'll be okay. Or you can swim laps in the pool, you know, with your laminated word in your hand. That's one way to do it. There are all kinds of apps. A great one is fighter verses. And just to help you memorize God's word. Our reading plan has memory passages. If you're walking through with us, you'll actually memorize three of the chapters of Psalms through our reading plan. Memorize the word. Here's another one. Talk about it in gospel-centered community. Talk about the word. Talk about what you're thinking about. Talk about what you're wrestling with. Talk about what's convicting you. Talk about what you don't understand. Bring community into it. Learn together. That's one of the reasons why we have life groups, so that we can live God's truth out. And uh, if you're in a life group and you do not regularly talk about God's word, you need to go to your life group guy and say, let's get with the program. We need to get around the word. Again, Pastor Mike asked me to say that. It's not me. You can talk to him. Uh, but that, let the word be central in your conversations with other believers. Here's another one. Study the word. Don't just read it. Study it. Go in deep. Dive deep into the word. Go for depth and breadth. Read small verses of scripture. Mind them out. Get a good study Bible if you don't have one. I love the ESV study Bible. It's my go-to or MacArthur's study Bible. There's many out there that will help you understand the word. Dive in deep. But also read for breadth. Read large portions of scripture so that you can get the bigger picture and the framework of redemption that's at work. Commentaries are a great resource. The Christ Exposition Commentary is Preaching Christ, it's, it's a very simple one. It's, it's helpful to get into. There's many out there. Use an online lexicon like Blue Letter Bible, which will actually show you the words in English and Greek and all the meanings. Or the Faith Life Study Bible app is another great one that will give you meanings of the actual words and let you go deeper into those things. Leverage the Family Discipleship Plan. The Family Discipleship Plan we've been writing over the last couple years, it's all about God's Word. It's guides, it's commentaries, it's truths, it's memory verses. It's simple to use, but it's not written to a child. This is really important. It's written to adults. It's written so adults can take it, process, meditate on the God's Word, and then share it with your child, your son or daughter. So anyone at your stage of life, the Family Discipleship Plan would be great for you to dive into God's Word with. Join a high-intensity study group. 
There's one that's going on right now where the focus is the study of God's word. Get into that. Grow in that. Join the cohort. Go to seminary. Seminary is not just for someone out there or a pastor. If we're in the United States and you have the opportunity to further your study of God's word, why would you not do that? What, what hindrance could it be to you? It's only a benefit to you. Dive into the study of God's word. I'll give you one more and then we will move into our time of response. See Jesus, the Word in flesh, and His redemptive work in each and every passage. One way to practically meditate on the Word is come to a passage and say, what does this passage have to do with Jesus? What does this passage have to do with the Gospel? Because it's there. Even in this text that doesn't speak specifically about the Son or speak about Jesus, it speaks about the law, the, the Word, and what does John 1, 1 tell us but this? In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, the incarnate Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the only Son of the begotten Father, full of grace and truth. In Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Jesus would say, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill them. Then on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, it says, As the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, being Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible study for Jesus to go through the Old Testament and say, Yeah, that's about me, that's about me, this is pointing to me. All of scripture is about Jesus and God's story of redemption. Because it is through the Son that we come to delight in the Father. We will never meditate and love the law of God until we take refuge in the Son. That's why we celebrate Easter week. That's why it is what it is. That's why we come to the table now because we recognize we will never love God's word until we love the Son and understand his love for us through Jesus Christ. So let's move into a time of response to the table now. I'm going to pray for us, then Pastor Mike will lead us in the taking of the bread of the cup. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your word. It is the light of our souls and I just pray for my brothers and sisters, for myself that you and your word would become life for us. That we be people who meditate on it, who love it and cherish it and grow in it. and That you would use it to change us not only into your likeness, but use it to change us so that we might be the light in the darkness. And it's your name we pray. Amen.